Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing. I cover the commanders for The Athletic, which means, of course, I was at FedEx Field today uh, to watch another heartbreaker for Washington against the commanders and possibly the result pushes Washington towards a definitive uh, stance for t- Tuesday's trade deadline. We'll talk about everything that happened and we're going to do it with the guy who's sitting here uh, listening to me prattle on here. He is, of course, Grant Paulson from 1067 The Fan. Uh, two to six thirty monday to friday uh you know when, when my, my head is scrambled because you know i it, chris russell was was next to you and behind me today giving us updates all throughout the day to some radio show and my head is like scrambled between what he was saying and the game and i'm just a little thrown off i understand that i mean it, that that's the, the that's the gig right someone's got to do it i guess you get to go to an nfl game that's the perk and, and uh you got to gut through uh Slashy yelling in your ear for a few hours, but we made it. We 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 did we did. Um, all right. So uh, obviously we'll get to this in a second. I'll have a story up in the morning by the time you read this, sort of looking at the game, but also that it could be the last game for Montez Sweat and Chase Young as teammates. Uh, and some thoughts on that. Uh, also you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. Grant is at Grant H Paulson. He's obviously going to talk about a bunch of this stuff as well on his show tomorrow. Um. What do you, uh, 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 you're the guest doing me the solid. Where would you prefer to go? Would you prefer to discuss the game or would you prefer to prefer to go ahead to the ramifications? Let's start with the ramifications. I think the macro is probably more important to people than the micro today. So the loss dropped Washington into three and five. And, you know, look, if they want to go to some silver linings and say, hey, maybe we could figure some things out here. You know, Sam Howe had a really good game. Uh, the offensive line only uh, did not allow a sack until the last like three minutes of the game, despite Philly being one of the better defenses or, you know, and, you know, there were some other good moments. They had had chances, but ultimately they lose. They fall to three and five. They're still in this as far as like the wild card because the NFC is just kind of a mess. Um, and then, you know, their injuries are happening in a few places. All that said. I just don't know how anybody is looking at this in any way, optimistic way, other than Ron Rivera, who's going to do his best to be positive. Um, to me, they should be looking forward, moving forward towards possible trades. I, I don't see how any other way is realistic in my brain. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, I've kind of had a, a stance on my show that by and large, I think and you and I have talked about this kind of off air, so to speak, but I think the discussion about the trade deadline is smoke that will far exceed the actual fire that are the flames of deals. And I don't mean just specific to Washington, where maybe they will make a splash move moving on from one of their, their big-name players. But just generally, I think that the dialogue around the league this year is way out of whack, and a lot of people are, 
are trying to benefit, you know, with clicks and listens and everything. This is not baseball or basketball, and you wouldn't know it based on the coverage. But having said that, yeah, if you're the commanders, why shouldn't you trade a player or two, a veteran or two? If someone's not under contract for next season, and there is a good chance you're not re-signing them, either because you have decided you don't think they're worth it or because you don't think you can afford them or for any other reason, then it is my belief that you should try to add whatever picks and assets for the future that you can and bestow those upon the next GM and head coach who come in here this offseason. Here's the question, though, Ben. Your GM and your head coach right now are the same guy, barring Josh Harris or somebody else, and I don't know who that somebody else would be, kind of intervening and saying, here's what you need to do. Who is going to tell and make Ron Rivera, who is, at least at the moment, coaching and, and GMing for his job, so to speak, give up players that can help him for the second half of the season for assets in the future that he won't be able to use anyway, very likely. Yeah. I mean, that's been the rub the whole time. You know, when you give, what was the bill Parcells line? You know, if you want me to cook the meal, let me buy the groceries or whatever the deal was. Um, you know, the problem with that scenario is if you have somebody at the top that isn't necessarily good at, you know, presumably the front office, cause you're, probably giving it to a coach, then, you know, where, where are you at? And, you know, I'm not saying their off seasons have been constant train wrecks, but there's obviously been some questionable choices. William Jackson, Carson Wentz, none of that compares to what we're seeing this off season. We'll get to that more in a second in terms of the free agency and the draft. So when you look at like the whole picture, like I kept saying, like, I think there's a world where the bet his Rivera's best chance to stay and i'm not saying it's a good chance would be maybe to lean into what you presume josh harris's mindset's going to be and that would be the future and make make a move or two in that direction i don't even know if it matters now because of how things have played out particularly again with the off season uh how, how it's not looking good um so yeah you, you almost feel like this is the moment where josh harris is going to have to intervene to a degree uh, he supposedly has not been telling them that they have to do anything th- like per se, but I don't know, man. It just feels like hey, here's the crazy thing or feel, feel free to tell me I'm crazy. Let's just say they trade Montez sweat, who it feels like there's more momentum moving him than chase young from the interest of other teams. I don't know that it's changing their outlook of that much. I mean, the defense is already not playing well, but it is the one position. They probably have the most depth with Casey Hill, James Smith, Williams, F.A. Obata. So I'm not saying there wouldn't be a loss to a degree, but we saw last year they get they held up more than fine to that Chase Young. So I don't actually think it would be a huge calamity. Yeah. And you get immediate help for, you know, for the draft next year. I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, Sweat missed time with, uh, if you remember, he had like a broken hand for a month and tragically lost his brother. There were several games missed in a, a second half of the season where they've had to get by without him and guys like James Smith Williams or Casey Tuhill and what have you, you know, combination. Wait, wait, can I can I pa- can I pause you for a second? Yes. Now I remember this because unfortunately, this is without getting inside baseball. I had heard about Montez Sweat's injury, completely blanked on the way home, and then here you came in and you reported that Montez Sweat had a broken jaw. So I want to be clear because you just said broken hand, and I'm annoyed. If you don't remember a big scoop like that, that I was like kicking myself over. So I just want to make that clear. You better be remembering what it was. 
Okay, broken jaw. There you go. That is right. I think you're right about that. Um, but point being, he was out for several weeks. and In 2021, yeah. Correct. It's a couple of years ago. So it wouldn't be the first time I've had to play without him. Uh, look, it would be a sizable loss. I think he's their best defensive end. He is their best sure. pass rusher. Uh, he is their most impactful pass rusher. Now, Chase Young, by way of PFF metrics and pressures and win rate and some things, has probably done a better job at times getting to the quarterback this year. But, I mean, look no further than than today's game, right? I think if this was the final game for Chase Young in D.C., and I don't think it was, it's kind of fitting because it's so much talk about Chase Young all week. And then he, you know, on the box score, he had one tackle. No tackles for loss, no quarterback hits, no sacks. And that's kind of been my rub for a long time. Like he might have a bunch of hurries and PFF might love his pressure rate and all this stuff. There just aren't enough game changing plays, but back to sweat, I guess my point would be, yeah. I mean, I guess if you're bad with or without them for the rest of the season, it doesn't matter. The bigger deal to me is the future. And like my plan would be to sign Montez sweat. I don't think they should let both walk. I think there's some thought among the fan base that the defense is bad. So who cares if you keep either of, which I think is flawed logic. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. They're not bad because they have those guys. You know, they're bad in spite of having those guys. So I would be trying to keep one of the two. I may sweat over young guy in that regard, which means that I'd be trying to trade young. Um, but I understand your point is kind of get the most you can for whoever. I just think they got to lock up one of them. And I have very little interest in locking up Chase Young to a 20 plus million dollar deal. Yeah, no, I I hear you on that. I mean, I, you know, I I I think Mont keeping Montez Sweat would be my preferred scenario as well. I guess the issue is, I don't know what Chase Young's market is, right? I mean, you know, on, on the Montez Sweat scenario, um, so uh, what I've heard is that there's an offer for a third that turns into a that turns into a second if he signs an extension um I, I don't know what the market is for chase young though at all so the question would be keeps do you keep sweat for a long for a bigger you know long-term deal and trade Ch chase young even if it's for a lesser amount or do you take the best deal the we're getting back the most stuff with sweat and then with chase young you don't even have to sign him to an extension you can just tag him if you want and go and play that game for another year with a new coach and see where you're at. Um, I'm with you. I would keep one and it would, my preference would be sweat, but at the same time, I don't, I don't know that they're going to have the option. Maybe we'll see, but I don't know if they're going to have the option to like, like we have the same, we can get the same thing for both guys. Let's pick one. So I, first of all, I agree with that. I think you're going to get less for chase young. For me, the starting point is what are you planning on doing after this season? In other words, the priority shouldn't be how much can I get back for these two guys? It should be do I want to pay one of those guys and build my defensive line around them and my pass rush kind of around them and in their image? So for me, just as an aside, I, w I would come into this saying I'm going to pay Montez Sweat or tag him as the case might be. Now the question is, what am I doing with Chase Young? I'm not going to pay him, and I'm not going to tag him. Even if I pay Sweat, I'm not going to tag him. So it's a whatever I get is better than nothing 
slash the compensation value. And I'm not even sure there's going to be a comp pick because I think they're going to, with a new owner and a lot of cap room, start being more aggressive in free agency, especially when a new GM comes in here and you're looking to turn things around and make a splash and you got some money to spend and an owner who wants to show that, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. So for all those reasons, I would trade young. It's probably not going to be as good a deal as they could get for sweat. And that's okay because I think sweat is a more complete, better football player. He is older by three years, but uh, still in the prime of his career, not old by any means. And at a position where you can be good for several more years. And on top of all those things, uh, he is, I would say, a better bet to be on the field. And he just does more of the box checking, opt-in things that I want out of the guys that I'm given massive contracts to. He rehabs at my facility. Uh, he, he doesn't come to OTAs to the extent that, you know, a Terry McLaurin or a John Allen would, but he certainly is going to beat Chase Young in attendance. Like there's just all of the kind of leadership and the traits like that that matter to me. He scores higher on, on those quizzes than Chase Young does, in addition to the fact that he's got a track record of having been more successful for longer. So that's why I'm going with him. I'm paying him, probably not dealing him. Will deal Chase Young. But again, I think I might be the only person in town. I mean, everyone's just kind of thinking this is a foregone conclusion and they're going to trade one of these guys. And I'd like to think they will. But I, I don't think they will if it's up to Ron Rivera and the Marty party. So my question again to you is, who's telling them to do it? And is it Josh Harris? Or is he being advised by somebody already who he's talking to to possibly come in here and run the show? Yeah, no, look, there's lots to unpack there. And I and I agree, like, I don't think it's a lock because of what you just said. I mean, it doesn't feel like it's in Ron Rivera's nature to um to to do that kind of a deal. You know, he post game he 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 did the same line he said the other day about hey, we've got ten games to go. He just now is nine games to go, and we'll play it one at a time, see what happens. He did not want to discuss um the dead the trade deadline or personnel uh after the game i did ask because somebody needed to ask so i did ask and he just said that um so i'm with you i, I could easily see rivera saying no we're not going to do it we're going to go for it uh whatever that means i like i said it just feels like it's a no-brainer like again i'm with you perfect world the offers are comparable for for sweating young move young keep sweat for the reasons that, that you just said he's just also been proven to be more durable, steadier, better run defender, uh, all, all these kinds of things. Uh, so I would do that. It, it, all things being equal, I guess the questions you mentioned, the compensatory pick. And I do think that's something that the more, as we've gotten closer to the deadline, the more I've thought about that, you know, the idea that they're going to get a third rounder, uh, you know, in 2025, not only is it an extra year away, who knows? Because, like you said, they're going to spend money this off season. So you, the the you know the formula is not is it's not automatically say you get the third round compensatory pick because you gave somebody up, and that's why I think moving one of them makes sense to get to lock in some twenty twenty four value. But the question is to what end? Um, you know, who are you willing to? I don't know what I'm saying. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I just don't know that. Uh, I, I just don't know that they'll, they have an option to say, 
keep sweat and trade young because I don't know what a young offer would be. And then therefore it's like, well, at that point, maybe you just roll the dice and hope that something goes right this way. You'll see what the comp game is in 2025. Yeah. I mean, there's also just an argument to be said that if you're blowing this thing up and if that's what they wanted to do, then nothing really matters anyways. You know, if we really want to look at it from 10,000 feet up. Right. So like when we talk about, well, Rivera wouldn't want to dot, dot, dot. If Josh Harris and this hypothetical is willing to go to Ron and say, I want you to trade this guy for the best deal we can get. And that's a you know third that becomes a second or what have you. Then we're already at a point where he's made up his mind very likely. And everyone knows and the writings on the wall. So what those guys want is meaningless. Right. And at that point, you know, he's beginning, I don't want to say go full Philadelphia 76ers process here, but he's beginning a, you know, a reboot from the ground floor up. So do you want to keep a 29 year old or 28 year old, whatever it is, uh, you know, going into next year, Montez sweat, starting a three, four year contract, what have you um, at a huge number. If you're in the first year of a new program and, you know, with the, maybe the, the, the rest of his plan, we don't know what it is, but is going to dictate what you do with a sweat. If Josh Harris is talking to someone who's advising him, who's likely to become the GM or what have you, and, and they're of the belief with this conference with an extra wild card, and you look at it right now, like, I mean, you know, it's funny. It, they, the Vikings are 4-4 four and four in a playoff team. They've won three in a row. Cousins tears his Achilles today and is out, so they're cooked. Like, there's going to be a team that gets in that's not very good probably. And I guess my point is that's been the case every year since Ron got here and they haven't really been able to take advantage of it. But maybe instead of rebooting from the ground up, Harris thinks let's sign a veteran quarterback and we can win quickly by spending, having a good draft and having a huge free agency. Well, now all of a sudden having a Montez sweater, a Chase Young anchor your line is a lot more important than if you're going to be trading up and drafting a quarterback next year, right? So that's kind of where we're at. Right. I mean, I, in other words, I think whatever his vision is, like his plan at co- big picture with GM, head coach, quarterback at like the most important positions is going to be relevant to what happens um, as it pertains to this deadline. Like, I don't, my issue with this draft, Ben, is that ever, nothing connects. You know, it just seems like it's, it's like there's 10 different events that they're going to in the same day and none of them have anything to do with the other we'll, we'll do this with Montez we'll do, and really in a good situation everything kind of is working in one direction so I think they got to figure out their plan hopefully they've already been doing that and Tuesday is the start of that yeah no I mean we'll have time to do a you know an autopsy either later in the season or after the season to look at the you know the Rivera era and you know again as a reminder he still has another year left I, I you know things could happen but I'm it doesn't seem like the, it seems like the logical move is going to be ownership is going to make a change one way uh, or the other. Cause that's if, at a minimum, that's what new owners tend to do. Um, yeah. Uh, so that said, like to me, that's why trading, even if it is Montez sweat, I mean, like on the one hand, the thing I like about where Washington is going forward is that they have a ton of cap space, like roughly like $90 million a minute because they have a lot of free agents. But the guys they still have under contract, John Allen, Deron Payne, Terry McLaurin, uh, 
you know, Brian Robinson, Sam Howell, uh, you know, Jahan Dodson. Like they have like it's a it's a lot of their core pieces, right? Benjamin St. Juice, we can add him, uh, you know, things like that. So they already have a pretty good baseline plus all this money. So now the question is who, you know, who would be the one, you know, buying the groceries um, that that's where it becomes interesting, but, you know, to add on more help for that and let whoever the new person's going to be, you know, I think isn't the worst idea um, out there. So I, I think I would be like, I'm with you. I would rather keep sweat than young. And he's the kind of guy like would be another, uh, another building block that I just mentioned, but at the same point, if you can get, um, you know, if you keep him, you that that you then have to pay him, right? Like you're going to pay him, and that that the the tag is like 21 million a year, approximate for next year. So it's going to be probably more than that annually, or cl- or close to it. So that that's why. Well, they, they need to stop tagging guys in general, right? I mean, just it's not good practice. You know, it's there as a break glass in case of emergency and they use it almost annually you know for guys that they want to hold hostage so just in general my hope is that the next regime signs guys earlier than later and doesn't rely on the tag as much as this group did yeah for sure all right um and as far look obviously they're not the only players there's other ones i i you know i haven't canvassed the whole league since we got back from the stadium but obviously some quarterback injuries did happen jacoby Brissett is still here if Washington decides, you know, hey, we're open to moving him, which I personally think they should be. I mean, Sam Howell had a pretty good game today, and I know you always want to back up, but if you're under, if you're being realistic that this may not be the year that they're going to have a deep run, then having the backup quarterback doesn't mean as much. So I would be curious what other teams out there might want him. Other than that, I don't know if I see anybody getting discussed or traded, but, um, you know, other things could happen, I, I suppose. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, you know, I, again, if I had to bet, I'd say they might make a move. I think by and large, the, the deadline in general will be more quiet maybe than is expected. But I, I guess for me, it's uh, it, it's it's over. I mean, I've, I have seen what I need to see. I've made up my mind. I don't know how this group wouldn't have already. And I'll say this too. I mean, it would be just so easy for them. Like, if you're Josh Harris, ready, everybody's waiting now. You, you are, you know, you were a hero when you called in and you bought beers and you, you indoctrinated yourself into the fan base and everything you did, you turned to gold the first couple of weeks. You know, you got a real opportunity if you, you blow somebody out or make a change. Like, you, they have a pulse of what people want and think, and it's only going to be a matter of time before they start, I think, making some pretty sizable moves. And they may have to as the season goes on here to try to, if nothing else, just give the fan base some appeasement down the stretch. I mean, you saw it today, and I know Philly's a different beast, but I mean, there it was at best 70 30 Eagles Commanders fans at FedEx Field. And, you know, that that's not going to sit well with Josh Harris when it's not the Eagles and it's another team from somewhere else and it's not 70% of their fans and it's empty seats and then you're not making any money on home games. So, I don't know when, but at some point, you know, something's going to change, I would guess. Someone's head's going to roll, and and they'll establish themselves and get some pats on the back from the fan base. Yeah, for 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 sure. Um, and and to to get into the into the game of it all, I mean, you know, this was 
like this was, I think, easily the best first half of the year overall. Offense, defense, special teams. Um, you know, they were up seventeen to ten. Uh, but you know, but like you know, the offense was 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 pretty crisp in the passing game. The defense was was keeping the Eagles in bay. Joey Sly set a franchise record with a sixty-one yard field goal. Uh, that you know they were doing a lot of good stuff, but then at the end of the day, you know, you know they they they, they you know they lose the game. The eagle, they, I mean, look, the Eagles were giving them this game. Not only did, did Sam Howell have a pretty good first half, the Eagles in the game not once but twice turned the ball over, just on the verge of scoring a touchdown, like inside the five yard line. Washington recovered both fumbles. They still scored 38 points. <laughs> you know, I mean, like the defense was still pretty messy. Uh, oh, it was and, awful. And yeah, it easily could have been 50. Right, right. So like even in a game in where you're like, all right, uh, you know, let's just say there's something to this idea that they get up for bet for better teams or whatever. The Eagles, yeah, should have put up more than 38 points. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I know these things can change, and once you score one touchdown, who knows? But you know what I mean. Like they easily could have scored more. Uh, and and, and you know, while the, the 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 offense and the offensive line did a better job this game, you know, it. I don't think they were going to outscore Philly ultimately. So it is hard to say. Well, just because they kept it tight, that oh, they have you know, there's more to see here. I'm with you. I don't think there's more to see here other than whatever Sam Howell does. I think we kind of know where this is at, and. Hopefully somebody over there is realistic with it. Yeah, that that was certainly the best statistical performance, right around 400 yards and four touchdowns for Howe. He was mostly excellent. I mean, his first half was tremendous aside from one throw. Um, in general, I mean, he was not as good in the second half, 39 of 52. But you take the interception away, and it was a bad interception. There was another bad throw on a fourth and one, which is the one I was referencing from the first half where I didn't mind the idea. Uh, they tried to get a little stop route to Terry McLaurin and and didn't convert. Um, near pick six, kind of hit a guy in the hands, a turnover-worthy play. But there were, you know, I would say maybe three or four overall, like bad reps for him. And otherwise, it was normal quarterbacking stuff or excellent. And... You have to be thrilled by the one sack. I mean, they, they insert Larson or they start Paul because the city Charles is hurt. So you have 40% of your offensive line and certainly the interior where they've had struggles was repatched, worked up and, and it was much, much better. And really to me, the story of the game and something I'm going to talk about on air quite a bit on Monday is that this to me was about Eric B enemy. I think more of the blame probably deserves to be on B enemy than has been largely because of their idea and their plan and their lack of adjustment and, and their reluctant uh, approach of, of just getting the ball out of house hands with quick game. And I thought the first half was exactly what this offense should look like. I can't believe it hasn't more often. It's slants, it's hitch routes, it's wide receiver and running back screens. You know, they didn't run a single wide receiver screen last week against the Giants, if they gave up five sacks in the first half, it was just kind of the opposite of, uh, you know, what you saw today. And I thought that was the best half of football the enemies called. Everyone wants to make it run pass with him all the time. They set a team record with, I think, 27 pass attempts, I think it was, in the first half. 
you know, something they've never done before. And who cares? You know, they, they threw it like four to one over, you know, ran it five or six times in the first half, I think. And it doesn't matter because they were effective and it was smart and it was extensions of the running game and it was screens and a bunch of stuff at the line of scrimmage. And how was like 18 of 20, you know, with a, an incompletion that was, you know, kind of normal and a near the, the near interception that I talked about. So I just thought the enemy was in his bag. He was incredible. It was his best half. Second half, not nearly as good, but uh, still offensively, like th- that was to me as, as good as it's going to look. And it's a huge check mark for how proving if, if we're having this, can he be the guy conversation? You know, this film goes in the, yeah, column. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, even in the second half, like, you know, it's, you know, they have a 24-17 lead. The Eagles tie the game. And then, unfortunately, Hal throws an interception on the next drive. Philly converts to a touchdown. And then Washington gets stopped on downs the next two possessions. That said, the on the first time they got stopped on downs, Hal threw the ball to Terry McLaurin twice. I haven't watched the game back. Maybe he should have caught one or both. Maybe he shouldn't have. But they were certainly the type of plays you expect Terry McLaurin to make. So in terms of what the enemy was doing or not doing, like, you know what I mean? Like, even the driver that got stopped on downs probably should have kept going at least a little bit. Uh, and then on the fourth down, on the on the final time, they don't uh, get it on downs. Third and five, they throw a pass to Jahan Dotson. He makes the catch. They move the chains, and then somehow, still a little bit murky, but the the headquarters of the replay uh, world up in New York said, actually, we've watched the play, and we don't think it's a catch. So it was reversed, and Ron Rivera sort of weirdly still challenged it, even though the same people who just told you it was uh, not a catch are about to review, judge it again. But anyway... So maybe they got a little screwed, a little bit unlucky there as well. They, they then on the next play gave up the first sack and um, um, game was kind of gone from there. Uh, so like, yeah, I agree. I think, I think this was definitely be enemy's best work and, and I'd be curious to see what everybody thinks about the offensive line play with Tyler Larson in there instead of Nick Gates and Chris Paul in there as well. Um, all, you know, definitely much more positives uh, for, for sure. What, what did you make of all those, uh, what ones I just said with the with the McLaurin non catches and then the penalty on Dotson? How much did you think that any of that mattered ultimately in the result? Uh, well, I mean, look, they all would have benefited them. I mean, the most strange thing to me was the non catch for Dotson, uh, for a couple of reasons, but I thought it was a catch number one, and then upon reviewing it, I don't know how it's not overturned. I mean, I. I get that they didn't see conclusive evidence. I just don't know what they're looking at. I mean, his arm to me is under the ball. Like there's no way to view that and, and say that it wasn't caught. I I just, so the whole thing made no sense to me really from them overturning their initial call on the field via New York, as you said. And then also, you know, after review upholding that, I thought that whole situation was strange, but speaking of catch, non-catch, you know, the whole turning point of the game to me was on a fourth and four, where Jalen Hurts is kind of running around for his life, and he flicks the ball way downfield to Devontae Smith, kind of right in front of us where we sit in the press box. Smith made a diving catch and tried to scoop the ball as it was hitting the ground. And not using my binoculars or anything, just kind of in real time, I thought, well, dang, I, I don't know if he caught that. I mean, that's really, you know, he's his hands are on the ground. If he caught it, it's great, and he probably did get his hands under it. But 
they got to look at this. And the Eagles eventually hurried to the line and ran a play, but they, they weren't like immediately running to the line. I mean, they kind of lollygagged for a second and then got up there and ran a play. And, and Washington never challenged the play and or, or called a timeout to see if they should or anything. Well, it, you know, it's fourth and four. It's a huge conversion. They score two plays later. They tie the game at 24 apiece. So I, I just thought not challenging that was bad. And then when you find out via replay eventually, when you see it, that he didn't catch it, it's worse. And then the last thing I'll say about it is after the game, I thought Ron Rivera's answer was horrific. You know, he basically said, uh, well, I, I, you know, they didn't show it on the board, so I didn't really get to see it. And so I didn't know if I should challenge it because I hadn't seen it yet. I mean, you you employ someone, presumably, who gets paid just to tell you to challenge that. And if you don't, then you're not doing your job correctly because someone should be watching that in the booth. Someone's job is to have 87 monitors up there and watching a million replays as soon as game, you know, rewinding things the second plays happen. There was somewhere between, I don't know, 20 seconds and 40 seconds in real life, you know, 30-some seconds between snaps to try to figure that out, and you, you couldn't. And I'm not saying it's easy, but someone's getting paid to do that. So I just I thought that answer was awful. It, was, uh, it wasn't great for sure. Um, and, you know, we were all watching that. And, you know, look, it's, you know, the replays can always be d- d- difficult. But watching um, the play happen, the, the Smith catch happened right by the, the commander's sidelines. And you could see several players, you know, kind of emphatically saying, no, it's not a catch. Now, I get it. A lot of players will say, you know, like every time there's a scrum for a fumble, oh, we got the ball, you know, so maybe it's some of that. But that you see that and then you see Philly hurrying up. Maybe you've got to be like, hey, uh, what are we doing here? But yeah, that was a huge play. They a few plays later, AJ Brown uh scored again. Um I, I don't know if it was the turning point, but the play that got me most incredulous, I don't know how many snaps Emmanuel Forbes was in the game prior to seeing him match one on one with AJ Brown again. Uh this was the the first time he uh AJ Brown caught a long one on him. And I then think he that comes- was play of the game he uh no the 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 play where brown caught a pass on him was later i don't think forbes i didn't see forbes out there initially it was uh aj brown caught a 20 yard completion to get to the three yard line on forbes and i believe it was forbes's first snap oh forbes's first snap sorry right that's why i was like wait how does i hadn't seen forbes out there so how does forbes get out there and then later when when aj brown catches a touchdown Again, it's Forbes, and the safety coming over to help is Quan Martin. Uh, you what? Like I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I don't. I'm not going to presume I know more about d- defensive coaching than Jack Del Rio. I just don't understand in what world do you allow Forbes to get matched up with AJ Brown one on one, and then the safety on the on the touchdown is the guy who barely has been playing. I don't know what happened there, but that that that's rough. Yeah, I, I don't know how it's possible that a month after AJ Brown destroyed them the way that he did, that they allowed him to do it again. Uh, in week four, when we all went crazy about how incompetent their plan was for him, nine for one seventy five and two, and in this game, eight for one thirty and two with the pass interference that would have got him back in that 170 range, I think. So uh, I, I have no words. And on top of 
the fact that he was making plays because there were times where Benjamin St. Juice was actually, you know, as close to him as you're going to be and did an okay job and got beat for a 13 yard crosser here or what have you in man coverage. I mean, they, they got him one-on-one against Forbes several times and almost every single time it was as if an alarm bell sounded and Hertz immediately threw to him. Now in the game, think about how crazy this is. Um, Jalen Hurts, when targeting A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, his top two wide receivers, was 15 for 15 for 229 yards and three touchdowns. That's just not okay. No, no, that's that's uh, insane, insane stuff for sure. And, and that's why I'm almost like, you know, look, I get why Ron Rivera – is going to say, hey, we're focusing on the next games. I get why the players who are certainly frustrated are saying the same things. And that's fine to a degree. But the as as well as certain parts of this team played, um it, it's just I don't I don't know how you anybody can look at the totality of this and say that this is going in a reasonable direction when when again like these kinds of breakdowns are happening. You know, good again, kudos to the offensive line for avoiding leaks, but you know, uh, not, we can't ignore the first 40 sacks. Right. Um, You know, uh, there's still enough things that are so fragile and up in the air and developing that. I I just don't see how anybody can look at this rationally and say, okay, this effort was, they were pretty close to winning. Therefore don't do anything. Like I just ultimately, like I said, especially on defense, it just did not feel that way. Like you said, it's like it's like uh, Jalen Hurts got a Google alert whenever in, uh, Forbes was out there, especially when he was up there uh, out there against AJ Brown. Uh, so yeah, I can't imagine anyone that's not on the staff making good money, you know, to be optimistic is going to view this game or or really anything going on at this point as any reason to continue down this path. I mean, it's it's the same as it has been the entire time. You know, they play some good teams tough. They seem to have a decent time with Philly and, and the matchup well enough to be in these games. That's great. Uh, but nothing has changed to the extent that when they play the Giants, they lose or play down. Or when they play the, the Falcons, it's a, you know, it comes down to the final possession. And when they play the Bears, they don't show up and next week it's new England on the road. And, you know, barring when's the last time I had a laugher of a win. I mean, you're allowed to blow a team out every now and then, right? You're allowed to win decidedly. They haven't had one of those in a couple of years. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's pretty obvious at this point that, you know, this thing's not trending much differently than it's been since Rivera got here. They're about the same team they've been all along. And it's a different cast of characters now. The other thing I'll say, too, is, and this is probably a conversation for another pod, so I, I don't want to open up, uh, you know, a, a whole other discussion here that you're not wanting to have. But their offseason was just absolutely bad and terrible through a half of a season here. And there's plenty of football left. So, you know, we'll see what happens with their free agent class and with their draft. But. As of right now, it looks like an all-time dud from the oh, standpoint of the, not only the draft but free agency. Their best player they brought in was the week of the first game with Jamison Crowder. It's, I mean, th- this this off-season of, of players that they've acquired 
it is disqualifying to keep your jobs as a front office, in my opinion. It was that bad. A hundred percent. That's why I was saying before, like when when I have talked to people around the league, and I've been doing that for you know the last few weeks about the trade deadline, and I keep coming up with, okay, well, what do you think about you know Washington trading Sweat or Young or whatever? And everybody's like, eh, it doesn't make any sense. Why would Rivera and his staff choose to do this? Because they're trying to fight for their jobs. And then I was arguing, well. Again, maybe the better case for them would be to, to do something in line with how Josh Harris might think. I don't think it even matters at this point. This offseason was such a wreck. I mean, that was even before, you know, again, today, Nick Gates gets benched. Um, on the surface, it looked like Tyler Larson stabilized things in the middle more than, um, you know, we had seen with Gates. I'm not saying everything was on Gates, but he definitely was rough last game against the Giants. Um, you know, and, and by the way, we didn't mention uh Ricky Stromberg on on an extra point leaves the game with a knee injury. He was ruled out pretty quick. I, I don't want to speculate because I don't know, but that could be pretty rough if he's uh, out more. Um or you know if he's out um uh, with it with a knee with a knee injury. They're, they're getting nothing out of anybody. By the way, let's just go through this really quick. I don't know how many play Forbes played, but clearly he got lit up again, unfortunately for him and everybody. Quan Martin, same thing. I don't think he played a ton, but he was in there. Stromberg gets yeah, those hurt. two guys combined for uh, each played five snaps, uh, so they combined for ten, and they both were on the field for five. Okay, uh, Stromberg gets hurt. Braden Daniels already on IR. KJ Henry has been basically inactive every game. I, I thought we were going to see more from Chris Rodriguez. Uh, did he even get a carry today? I don't. He did not. Last week he split carries. This week he was not involved. Right. So that was curious. Okay. He's been at least sort of interesting. Um, Andre Jones was inactive. So again, like it, it, just when we think that the, the 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 draft class is you know can't get like well they're already playing pretty it's already a pretty rough situation now it's only getting worse. So yeah, I don't see any scenario where we, you look at the. I mean he. It, that he would have to impress them with like the coaching side of things to to justify anything because the this part is is uh is not working out and I I completely agree with you I mean think about whatever scenarios you want Carson Wentz Albert Hainsworth whatever it is I would venture to guess that other players that off season were at least reasonable nothing has worked to this point it's insane yeah I mean it has been. I, I don't remember an off season's worth of moves that netted this little production. I, it would be really hard. And I'm not pretending to say that like fans or media people are smarter than these guys who know more about football and their the cuticles of you know their fingernails than we do. But I am going to say that like if if you just threw darts at a board, you know, if you just video game style like randomized and added players like you couldn't get less than they have frankly i mean seriously you know it, in the first round they went cornerback there were four guys at the position basically taken early to you know from from the around 10 to the end of the round they're all excellent except for the guy they drafted who's been off uh, and seems to be losing his confidence right in the second round, they took a guy that doesn't get on the field at a position where they were pretty good. And, and, a, not posi- and a position where the, one of their starters is on IR. 
Well, exactly. I mean, the, the fact that he doesn't play now is, is just a complete disaster. But I just mean in general, it was, you know, an interesting choice. I didn't hate it if he was going to start at nickel. But that was not their plan, apparently. They drafted him really to play safety. So that makes no sense to me when they had a mid-round safety from last year and two safeties they really liked otherwise on the depth chart. But I digress. You know, in the third round, you draft a center who you can't get on the field when you have a center who's out. As you go to a journeyman veteran who's, you know, a kind of a take him or leave him guy who was with Ron in Carolina. Uh, obviously, they don't want to go to a young center with a young quarterback and, and try to make the calls, but I still think that's silly. So, yeah, it, it, the whole thing is just a, it's bad. Their right tackle, they handpicked day one of free agency is, you know, has a really hard time in pass protection. They've already benched the other linemen they added. There's just no explaining this offseason away. I mean, it, it's, there's no way to say it other than it was really bad. Yeah, um, a hundred percent. Um, all right, uh, I got to get you out of here, but quickly before we before we go, we it didn't mention, or I don't think we did, that Jacoby Brissett is obviously a guy. Oh no, I did mention, I guess, but Jacoby Brissett's obviously a guy that, in theory, could generate some interest either from a contender who needs a, a higher backup, or you know, some teams had some injuries, including the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins. Suffers an Achilles tear. I I didn't see the play, so don't know what happened. Would, but anyway, I'd be it, it would be a dereliction of duty on my part if I don't at least ask you your thoughts on Cousins. And, and to a tangential point, do the do do the Vikings are they a team that would look at Brissett because you know they're what you say they're four and four they're in this, but the, you know they're going to need something more quarterback than probably what they have. So Kirk Cousins injury, and then are they a Brissett team? Uh, so I'm, I'm sure they'll make a call, you know, that they've now got to add somebody and Brissett should be high on their list because they're not going to want to give a ton up as a team that is building toward the future as it is, but I'm sure they'll call. I just don't think Washington is going to part with Brissett or, or field many of those calls. Right. I mean, how has been sacked at a rate that makes it almost impossible to imagine he'll stay healthy all season. So they're not going to roll out the rest of the red carpet for Jake Fromm. So I don't see him as an option, but Minnesota's got to figure something out because yeah, they are positioned right now to be a play. They're in the playoffs. Uh, here, here's what they're going to find out. Uh, and, and they know this already. I'm sure it's why they may actually sell a piece or two, but they're not going to be able to replace Kirk cousins. I mean, the, the amount of, of, uh, checks and things he does at the line right now is is there's only a handful of guys in the league with the autonomy offensively at the line that he has in, in his second year in Kevin O'Connell's system and is now a, a mid-30s veteran who's been starting since 2015 in the league. And there's not many quarterbacks, frankly, with more on their plate. I think he's number one in the league in attempts. They don't run the ball well. They don't really run the ball much at all. Three straight wins for their last five. He's playing some of the best ball of his career was on his way to, you know, you look at his paces up upwards of 47, 4,800 yards with 37 or so touchdowns and 10 interceptions. I mean, he was really doing good things. So it's a heartbreaking to see him suffer the injury, but uh, they're in big trouble. Uh, I would imagine they'll make some calls and try, you know, do you, uh, like, do you bring in a Carson Wentz? Doubtful. Do you bring in Colt McCoy, who they worked out a couple weeks ago? Probably. Uh, Nick Mullins is still a few weeks away from coming back from IR. I don't think they're going to start their late round pick. So my guess is someone like McCoy or, or 
someone like that probably starts for them here in the next week or two. But I think they're going to have a real hard time in a complicated offense trying to move the football. Uh, maybe when Jefferson comes back, you know, they got weapons. They got Jefferson, Addison, Hawkinson. You know, you, you could have a, a dead cat bounce game or two. But, I mean, they, they, they're in a bad way. So the NFC is wide open. I mean, that's kind of the point I was making is I had Minnesota, you know, and Atlanta possibly making the playoffs going into the weekend here. And while the Vikings won because Cousins didn't get hurt to the fourth quarter, they didn't do anything after he left. And Atlanta, who's the favorite now to win the South, completely, uh, you know, went to the bathroom in the bed uh, against the Titans today. So it's just not a good conference. And if Washington can take advantage, you know, they'll, they'll be all right. All right, uh, everybody should take advantage of of uh, Grant's uh, willingness, interest, and uh, enthusiasm to discuss this team five days a week, two to six thirty on one hundred six seven. The fans, fan, you can listen to, to on the Odyssey app as well. Uh, for what it's worth, I'll be talking to Kevin Sheen in the morning tomorrow, uh, noon on uh, nine eighty. Uh, anything else we need to discuss, mention, consider, ponder? Before I uh, return you to your family, I think we're in a good place right now. Um, By that you mean you and me, it not necessarily the commanders. No, 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 no. They are not. They are. They're in a familiar place, but not necessarily a good place. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, all right. Well, Grant, uh, appreciate the time as always. Thanks to everyone for checking out the podcast. Uh, again, I'll, I'll have a story up in the morning on the athletic, and more to come with the deadline rapidly approaching here Tuesday, 4 o'clock. We'll have plenty to discuss. But that is it for now. Uh, Ben Standick signing off. Until next time, 